we're in the book of Psalms. If you're here for the first time, we've been going through Psalms for the last two months. It's been incredible. And we're in Psalm 32 today. Open your Bible there to Psalm 32. If you don't have a Bible, slip one off the person's lap next to you. They won't mind. Great to have you here, Mark Denchi. Good to see you, bud. Uh, Psalm 32, and then Romans 4. Put your thumb into Romans 4, because we're going to read a little bit from there just now. Psalm 32. Last year, about this time, I heard a preach from Phil, Phil Dooley. You know that guy with that cool blonde hair from Hillsong in Cape Town? Hillsong are doing an amazing thing around the world, eh? beautiful. And so he spoke on the book of Psalms, and Phil Dooley said something that I've never forgotten about the book of Psalms. And I want to tell you what he, what he said. He said, right through the book of Psalms, you see this divide. There's this division. There's this divide that you see right through the book of Psalms. On the one side of, of this divide, you see David speaking about a person whose life is righteous and blessed, living like a tree that's planted by the water, bearing that good fruit. You, you see that happening on this side of the divide. And then on the other side of the divide here, my goodness, you, you see another side. And, and Phil describes it like this. He says, this side of the divide can be described as living far from the very best that God has for you. It's quite a nice way of describing this side of the divide. So on this side here, you see people who are living a life as a Christian. They've got a relationship with Jesus, like that tree planted by the water. And some of you started that relationship last week when we read Psalm 40. Remember that? And we said we're going to wait patiently in our doctor's room as he fixes our hearts and stitches our wounds. And we're not going to rush him. Kelly's uncle, you had a he had an op six, seven hours this week. And, and the family weren't sitting there knocking, knocking on the door. Hey, doc, hurry up. We wait. And we wait because he's the doctor. And he's busy fixing our hearts. We don't rush our doctor. Some of us are there. But some of us are here living far from the very best that God has for us. And, and Psalm 1 talks about this path that leads to destruction where there's sin and brokenness and deceitfulness on this side. And the problem is that this divide that we see in the book of Psalms, each one of us face this divide every single day. Because life doesn't have a dress rehearsal. We don't have a dress rehearsal. Michelle, my wife, she's not here, which is a, a sad thing. She's at Freedom Kids. She's teaching there. Don't you want to get involved? Paul's wife is Wendy with her. She's there today. Every five weeks, six weeks, just put your name down. It's beautiful to see what God's doing in kids' lives there in these classrooms. But, but she, she wishes she had a dress rehearsal because she'll buy a dress for a wedding that's coming up. And then on the day, I'll see she's not wearing the dress. And I'll say, Baz, why, do you want, why are you not wearing the dress? Oh, I don't know. Maybe somebody else is going to wear the same dress, you know, and it's going to be a bit awkward. Like, rawr. <laughs> <laughs> Girls are strange, <laughs> She wishes she had a dress rehearsal so that she could just go and see if someone else is wearing that dress at the wedding or not. I wish, I wish I had a dress rehearsal for life because life happens moment by moment. We don't get to fast forward the tape and to see if I carry on making decisions like this, how is my life going to be affected down the line? If I carry on making choices that I'm making today, how's it going to affect me and how's it going to affect my kids in five I've 10 years time to you, sir. We don't have the take two 
in life. We don't have the take two where Daryl sometimes reacts so badly. And I wish I could have take two just to act and not react. Hey, there's a massive difference between reacting and acting. And we don't have that opportunity to face that situation again and do it better or do it right. There are no dress rehearsals. When you're in that tender negotiation and you're busy signing that business deal and you're sitting in the boardroom and suddenly at the 11th hour, there's money being offered under the table. You don't have a dress rehearsal for that moment as a businessman, as a husband, as a father, as a man, as you're sitting in your study late at night and and you're on that website and that banner ad comes up and it just lures you, just click once. You don't have a dress rehearsal for that moment. Well, here's one. You don't have a dress rehearsal for that moment where you walk into her at the Faramir Square after not seeing her for years. You don't have a dress rehearsal for those moments. The problem is that we're unprepared and we're in our own unbrokenness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our selfishness. We far too often end up in this place far from the very best that God has for us. And we say something that we shouldn't have we start living an unbalanced life. It's like this magnet just pulls you towards this side, far from the very best that God has for you. You, you find yourself one day in a dysfunctional marriage. You're insecure, you're broken, you're lonely, financial ruin. Maybe you've become addicted to something. Maybe you're even addicted to work because work is your escape. Far from the very best that God has for you. And so this morning, I want to ask this question to every one of us. When there's a part of your life, Daryl, where maybe there's a chunk of your life, Peter. Maybe there's every part of your life that's caught up on this side of the divide, far from the very best. What do we do when, we, when we're there living a life like that? You know the amazing thing about Psalm 1? It's written by a man, David, who was once there. Blessed is the one, righteous talking about the intimacy and the wonder of God. And slowly he lands up here. He finds himself here on this side. How does he get there? How does David get there? It it reminds me of a friend of mine who was sitting at the duck pond that day and and crying, these deep cries from the inside saying, Daryl, I don't know how I got you. How does David get there? We're going to look at this man's story today. And we find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Don't worry to turn there. I'm going to give you a quick brief overview of what happens. It seems like this, friends. David just becomes a little bit off focus. He just loses focus here. He, he, he just shifts his attention. He starts to drift a little bit off. He's supposed to be fighting on the battlefield. And he sends the men. By the way, the men went to battle with the ark. God's presence went with the men. David doesn't go with God's presence. He, he starts spending less time with God in God's presence. And one afternoon, he's at home and maybe has an afternoon nap and he wakes up and opens up the curtains and there he sees this FHM supermodel Bathsheba having a bath. And right there, right there, at that moment, a married man sleeps with another man's wife. And he sends her off back home only to find out a few months later that that she's pregnant. And so David does what any other man would do on this side of the divide, far from the very best that God has. He just just takes matters into his own hands. You ever done that? Take matters into your own hands. Well, I'll just put a cell phone lock on my phone and it's okay. She won't be able to see the photos and the messages. You ever taken matters into your own hands? 
And so David brings in the husband from the battlefield, and he speaks a little bit about business and strategy, and then charges it to the business credit card. Yeah? And then he hopes that after dinner, Uriah is going to go back and sleep with his wife, Bathsheba. That was close, kept under wraps. Nobody has to know. But this man, Uriah, lives a life of integrity. And he's in charge or involved with the palace guard. And so he protects that very king who slept with his wife that night. He doesn't go home to be with his wife. And so, oh, well, David, that's okay, plan B. I'll just come up with plan B. And that's what I do. That's what maybe you do. Just, oh, plan B. What's plan B here? He brings himself, brings Uriah back in and has a, 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 gets him drunk. Now this time my plan will work. Plan B will work now. Still, no. True to the very nature of sin, David lands up in this place. And eventually, the next morning, he, he wakes up and it still hasn't worked. Now he writes a letter to Joab, who's in charge of the army, sends it with Uriah, gives him his death sentence. This is what he says in 2 Samuel. Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. And then withdraw so that he will be struck down and die. Finally, my problem is solved. No one has to know except again, true to the nature of sin, sin will have you. Sin cannot be swept under the carpet, Daryl. And so David lives for more than a year with this guilt and this shame. Can you imagine it, friends? David is the king. He's ruling and reigning. He's the man. And he walks through the palace one day on the way to a meeting, and, and he looks at a servant who's glaring at him. And there's a smirk on the servant's face. And David wonders, does that servant know what I've done? Does everybody know what I've done? Can you imagine it? Make it even worse. Remember Uriah? He was involved with the palace god. So was his dad. And so every morning, Uriah, David wakes up and he looks and he sees, is Uriah's dad still there? Every time he looks at the palace god, he sees, that's the father of the man that I killed. And to make it even worse, Uriah's grandfather was involved on the council of political advisors. So when they've got meetings in the boardroom, David is sitting across from Uriah's grandfather thinking, I killed that man's grandson. You ever been in, in a staff room with your colleagues and you know you've spoken behind their backs a couple days ago? That's nothing. David killed that man's grandson. And so, friends, as, as we look at David's life here, where, where he's at, friends, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're here right now. And God in his nature does, does what? He pursues David. He sends the prophet Nathan to go and speak to David. God chases after David, runs after David. David stops communicating to God from his side because he's feeling so guilty and living with shame. God's nature pursues, runs after, chases after David. And I want to say to you today, you're sitting here, no matter which side of the divide you are, whether you are here planted like a tree, bearing good fruits, or maybe you're on this side of the divide, living far from the very best that God has for you. He will chase after you. He will fight for you till you are found. He will leave those 99, and he will go here for you, and he will pursue you. That's the nature and the heart of our Heavenly Father. Friends, you've got to get that this morning. He'll chase you like he chased David. Let's get back to the story here. Back to his life. He was here. 
Now he's here far from the very best that God has for him. Let's look at verse 3 of Psalm 32. You with me? This is where he's at. He says this. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Another translation says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know what that refers to, friends? The Romans, when they found somebody guilty of murder or a crime and that person was going to be executed, before his execution date, they would take the body of a dead person and they would strap it to that person who was guilty. And that person, before he would be executed, had to walk around with the body of a dead person on his back. And the theologians are telling us here that this is how they're describing how David feels right now. It feels like he's walking around with the body of a dead person strapped to his back and it's eating him alive. That's where we get that term dead weight from. Maybe you feel like that today. It's just dead weight. It's been, just, it's been pulling you down. That's how David feels right now. Maybe you don't want to be around a group of people. Maybe you, you battle to come to church today because you're thinking that group of people are perfect and, and I can't see myself having a cappuccino with them because I'm nowhere. Friends, I want to tell you right up front, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. This is where David is right now. Far from the very best that God has for him. But you see, friends, God wasn't finished with David yet. And God's not finished with you yet today, sir. And God's not finished with me. And I want to see, I want you guys to see it today with your very own eyes. The first few verses of chapter 32. These words can be your words this morning. This is what you can be saying to God this morning. These are the words that were penned by David, the murderer, the adulterer, the deceiver. David was a tyrant, man. And he says this. Verse 1. Read it there with me. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. You see it there. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Yeah? Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I will confess. God, you will forgive. As I read this early this morning, I thought of a, a couple that are married. Not from Benoni. A few weeks before they got married, I can remember getting a call one night. It was very late. And he said, please, will you come over? And uh, I got there, and both of them were sitting there in tears. And uh, as I got to hear why they were at this spate just three, four days before they were going to get married, I, I'll never forget. She, uh, she just said, tonight I, I told my husband about some of the sexual relationships that I've been involved with that he didn't know about. And, and uh, that night, as she confessed her transgressions 
to her heavenly father, but to her husband who she was going to marry in a few days' time, that turmoil, that dead weight that she'd been walking with, that God had been speaking to her about, she was set free that night, just three, four days before they got married. Did she have to? No. Did David have to? No. He says, yeah, then I acknowledged my sin. Then I did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess. She confessed. God, David confessed, and God will forgive. They went from Benoni, but we are. And for us in Benoni, we get baptized in our genes straight. But you know what else happens in Benoni? It's a small town, eh? The whispers as to who did what. Have you heard about them? You, you know what he's been up to? The whispers as to who is here far from the very best. Yeah, no, that person, you're far from the very best that God has for them. And we think as we read this today, it's great news for David because he was God's favorite. He was the shepherd boy that God raised to kill Goliath. I mean, he's, he's the man. But for me in Benoni, the city, son of my sorrow, what about me? Freedom Church, what does the Bible say about us in this situation? I want to show you. I want you to know today, friends, because maybe you've heard, maybe you've been churching for many years, but you've never really understood what does it really mean to be saved. And I want to show us today, in Benoni standard grade form, for us, what does it mean to be really saved? Turn with me to Romans 4. Let's go there. I want us to understand this, friends. What about you and I? Fine for David, but what about us? Chapter 4. Give a quick background from chapters 1 to 3. Paul is talking about uh, the same things that David is. He's talking about people that are living on this side of this divide, far from the very best that God has for them. And and he says, he drops this massive bomb on on this group. He says, the wages of sin is death. Boom. And you think, oh, how am I going to get out of this then? I'm going to die. Wages of my sin is death. And no sooner has he dropped that bomb, bam, then he says this. He goes all the way back in scripture to the first time that God waded in to our sin. And he speaks about a man called Abraham. Verse 3. Have you got it? Romans 4, 3. Here's the question. Read it there. What does scripture say? What does the Bible say? Scripture says Abraham believed. Say believed. Abraham believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was gifted to him. It was a gift as righteousness. I want you to notice this, friends. All Abraham had to do was believe. And you're sitting there saying, really? Is it that easy? All I have to do is believe? I don't have, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to come to freedom on a Sunday and go to another church on Sunday night because you don't have two services. I don't have to do double tithe. I don't have to go to Freedom Kids and serve in parking and do coffee. Let's carry on reading there. It says this. Surely Abraham can't just believe that. I mean, that's unfair. There's got to be a punishment here, friends. The next verse, verse 4, it says this, because Paul knows how my little brain works. He says this, to the one who works, wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. He says it isn't a works thing, friends. You see, my mate's bicycles outside there, when the gears aren't working, they send them into the bicycle shop, and the mechanic fixes the gears and checks the chain, and then my friends have to pay the mechanic for fixing their bicycle because he deserves payment for what he's done. But when it comes to my sin, we don't deserve what we get. I do not deserve forgiveness for my sin. Paul says we cannot earn forgiveness through our works. So number one, 
All Abraham did was believe. And number two, works. Do we have to do anything? No. Look what it says in verse five. It says, to the one who does not work, but trusts God to justify them. Not doing anything, just trusting. Can I ask you a question, friends? Does a Christian's life, someone who gives their life to Jesus, does a Christian's life look differently to, to the person who's unsaved, who doesn't love and accept Jesus as their savior? Does it? It, it does. A Christian's life is different. But why? Why? Why is a Christian's life different? Why does that man who's given his life to, to the Lord in a church in the UK say, I want to live a different life with my fiance? Why? Because he has to? No, because he wants to. He chooses to. Not because he has to, because he wants to. There's a man sitting here today, and I met him a few weeks ago at the Mug and Bean, and there outside on the patio, he surrendered because he was living here far from the very best, far far from the very best. It was affecting him. It was affecting his family. And, and that day, he surrendered his life to Jesus, and he repented. He really did repent, friends. And he came back to this side of the divide. It's been beautiful to see his story and how it's changed his family. And he called me this Thursday on the phone. It was the phone call of my week. And he said to me on the phone, he said this. I've written it down. He says, I don't want to say that I'm sorry. I want to live that I'm sorry. It's a massive difference, eh? a massive difference and I thought wow this guy really has changed and it made me think of that verse in Matthew 7 where Jesus says grapes do not grow on thorn trees Jesus says a good tree produces good fruit why does that man's life and that man's life in the UK why does it produce good fruit because he has to no because he wants to and that friends is how Jesus wants us to live. It's got nothing to do with having to do things. It's because we want to live that life. And then Paul says this amazing thing in Romans 4. Let's go back there. He, he, he says, he goes back to Psalm 32. He says exactly the same thing. Look at verse 6. David says the same. He says exactly the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he takes Psalm 32 in verse 7. And he quotes it. How amazing is this? The Bible lines up, friends. Bible's incredible. Lines up. Everything lines up. From Romans to Psalm 32, he quotes it there. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. He says exactly the same thing as what David's saying. Paul's reminding us. Abraham went back. He goes and says, Abraham couldn't fix the mess. David was here. He couldn't fix the mess. And you and I are here. Maybe a part of us, maybe a chunk of us, maybe, maybe every part of us can't fix it. There's nothing that you and I can do, friends. All Abraham did was believe, and David believes God, and Paul is saying to you and I today, Freedom Church, this is how the gospel works. And this passage, I sense, is speaking to many hearts here today. Look at verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, Abraham, but for us, who's us? I've underlined it in my Bible. For us, that's you and I. It applied to Abraham, it applied to David, and it applies to us. But what are we believing in? We have to make sure here. What are we believing in? Verse 24, the last part there in your Bible says, For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
verse 25. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Massive word. Don't switch off here. Whenever you see the word justification in your Bible, right there in pen or pencil, just as if I'd never sinned. That's all justification means. It's a big word, but it's simple. Just as if I've been justified through Jesus who died on the cross, just as if I'd never sinned. Freedom Church, that is the story about how you and I are saved, how we are forgiven, how we are given eternal life one day in heaven, and how we are restored to a right relationship with God. And I so badly want you to get this this morning because it's simple. And you're going to hear the whispers. It can't be that easy. It is. It is that easy. David got it. A man who was adulterer. A man who had a child out of wedlock. A man who was stained with committing the most wicked series of sins in the Bible. He gets it. And he was here and he decides, I'm going to come back over the divide. And I'm going to come back here living a life righteous, planted like that tree. Bearing good fruit. He gets back to that, friends. And he writes it for us. Let's read it again. Go back to Psalm 32, please. Verse 1, let's read it again. Blessed is the one, the murderer, the adulterer, the guilty one, the shameful one, the dysfunctional one, the insecure one, the lonely one, the broken one. Blessed is that one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is that one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. David's saying, yeah, don't keep silent, Freedom Church. David's saying, I know what you're going through. When your bones waste away, when you feel like your body is wasting away, when you feel like you've got that dead weight and you're groaning all day long, the Lord's hand is heavy on you, your strength is sapped. See what it says, your sin is like a corpse on your back. It'll have you, that's sin. It's going to destroy you. And then I think, maybe David paused for a moment as he wrote this. Maybe he sang a song before he carried on. And then he becomes very vulnerable with us here, friends. He opens up into his heart. We get into his brain here. He's going to tell us exactly what went down. He says, then, I acknowledged my sin. And I didn't cover up my iniquity. In that moment, he gets on his knees. And he repents. No excuses. Oh God, but them and that. Oh God, but you don't know she's such a. No. No excuses. He gets on his knees. I did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my sin, my transgressions, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He takes us right into his world there, friends. He forgets about the shame and the guilt. He says, I want you to know. I want you to know even me. The murderer, the adulterer, the deceiver, the tyrant, even me. He says, I want you, Freedom Church, to know Psalm 32 today. That David says, I didn't get there in my own works. I didn't do it by myself. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave me. I will confess. And then God forgave. David found forgiveness where he was, friends. And that was the turning point where David crossed the great divide back to living a life of hope and peace. And today, could today be that day where you too could turn and come back? A part of you, a chunk of you, all of you, come back over the divide to living that life 
like a tree planted by the water bearing good fruit. Right there where you're sitting, can you close your eyes? I want to share some thoughts with you as you close your eyes there. Maybe today is the first time that you've come to church and you've seen with your very own eyes what does the Bible say about being saved, about believing, and about forgiving, asking God to forgive. Maybe for the first time you've understood it. Maybe you've always tried to be good enough. Maybe you've tried to pay for those moments where you were far from God on that side of the divide. But this morning, you've read the Bible and you understand how it works. It's all about forgiveness. Maybe there was a time where you were on that side, living like that tree planted by the water. Maybe you were there where you did have a relationship with God, but you've ended up far from the very best that God has for you. And in the back of your mind, you always feel, I'll never be good enough, God. I'll never be good enough. But you so badly want to make it right. If that's you today, then after we sing this song, I can imagine David writing and singing, writing and singing. We're going to sing together, just like David did many times. He sang to God. Something happens when we sing to God, when we put music to words. We're going to sing a song about what God has done for David, for you. And for me, and maybe after you've sung this song with me, maybe you're going to pray a prayer with me. With me, I'm standing here. I'm going to pray that prayer for myself today. Let's stand together and sing that song, and then we're going to pray.
Psalm 32, then, then I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity. Maybe you're standing there, just close your eyes, saying, Daryl, there's nothing in my life right now that I need to confess to God, really, really. Then I confessed then I acknowledged. And so if that's you, if you want to pray with me, I want us to pray out loud. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I can have complete forgiveness and justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. I acknowledge my sin to you. I don't cover up my iniquity. And so as you stand there right now, you just, you just tell God, like David did, you just tell him out loud, that thing that is on your heart, that is, that is uh, in front of you, some, something that's just standing out, just confess that to him. carry on praying together. So I give my sin to you, Jesus. I confess my transgressions. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want to live that I am sorry. That's big, friends. Like that man on the phone. Let's say it again. I want to live that I'm sorry. In Jesus' name. 
God, I ask that this morning people that have come in here weighed down, like that dead weight on their back. God, I want to thank you that today that dead weight has been lifted off of them. In Jesus' name. I think of those that have come in this morning riddled by guilt and shame for years. Thank you, Lord, that they have found forgiveness today and that they know, just like David knew in Psalm 32, because of the power of you, Jesus, what you've done in people's hearts. In Jesus' name.